Hello, med students. My name is Zach Olson. Thank you for downloading this month's Deep Dive. But before we get into that, I want to talk about our sponsor for the month. Again, this episode was sponsored by Pearson Ravitz Insurance. Stephanie Pearson at Pearson Ravitz is my personal disability and life insurance agent. Disability insurance is something you want to set up sooner rather than later, and it's really for three reasons. One, you get discounts. You can lock in big training discounts on your premiums that you pay monthly that stick with you even once you graduate and then your income goes up. If you buy now, you lock that in, and it's one of the reasons why you don't want to wait too. You might get disabled. It's not common, but it does happen. I know people that it has happened to. Um, You could be in residency and have something happen and you're no longer able to practice medicine. Keep in mind, this is not just injuries. This is things like illnesses and stuff too. Things with your vision. Let's say I know someone who had a visual loss. Um, I imagine cancer and things like that as well. There, You want to buy this as early as possible to protect yourself in case something happens. Um, you're so far into training with all this debt, you really need to shield yourself. And the third reason is exclusions. Um, this is one that I didn't realize until I started applying, but you're going to be going to the doctor, hopefully, and taking care of your of your health while in med school and residency. And every little thing that gets tagged in that health record and thing you get diagnosed with, when you apply for the disability insurance and also the life insurance, they're going to be pulling that and looking at your health. And frequently, if you wait too long, you'll have some sort of exclusion built into the policy that weakens your policy. So let's say you're in residency and you're you know, just having fun with a bunch of friends and you fall down some steps or something and you like break your back or you, you injure your back and you have to go to the doctor a bunch to get, go get your back taken care of. And you go to the chiropractor and things like that. When you go apply for the disability policy, let's say a year later, they're going to see all that stuff related to your back. And they're going to say, we'll cover you with disability insurance, but nothing related to your back ever. Stephanie Pearson at Pearson Rabbits can answer all these questions for you. Go to www.pearsonrabbits.com, set up a call, get your questions answered, just start getting this stuff on your radar. It'd be a really smart thing for you to do. Thank you to Pearson Rabbits for sponsoring this episode. Now back to our deep dive. Okay, so I'm going to kind of blow through this. This month's episode, what I was trying to get to happen to Mike was essentially... um, to blow the patient off. Okay, we get so many patients in emergency medicine that have these really high blood pressures and they get sent in by the pharmacist with the pharmacy machine or uh, they'll call their doctor and they'll say, my blood pressure is 230 over 140, what do I do? And they say, you need to go to the ER. Um, And whether that's appropriate or not, depending on the situation, is kind of a separate conversation. But then these patients come into the emergency room expecting all of this stuff to happen. And the question is, what do you do for people uh, with hypertension? Now, in this case, this patient, you will know it was subtle, but he was not asymptomatic. And um, he was having some, some headaches and some nausea. He had papilledema on exam. So that would be excluded from what we're going to talk about today. That was, I was trying to see if I could get Mike to blow this patient off and think that just call this patient like, you know what? It's subtle. This patient's fine and just not do much. Um, and he did a good job and, and found the hypertensive emergency built into the case and uh, got it got it treated appropriately, did really, really well. But I want to talk to you just a little bit about asymptomatic hypertension. Again, we're just going to go through this really quick. So in 2013, ASAP put out a clinical policy on something called asymptomatic hypertension, asymptomatic severely elevated blood pressures. We will link that policy in this episode. It is a must read. 
But essentially, the policy asked two questions. In patients with asymptomatic but severely elevated blood pressures, right? They come in and, and their blood pressure is 220 over 120 and they got referred and they're worried that all, their brain's going to explode and all of this kind of stuff. But you ask them how they're feeling. They're, they say, I feel really good. I don't, I don't feel bad. It's just the number. It's really a number issue. In that setting, ASAP in this clinical policy asks the question, is the, does, the, does routine testing on these patients, meaning getting labs, getting an EKG, getting a chest x-ray, does that in- decrease the risk of bad outcomes? And also does routine treatment of that blood pressure, either in the emergency room or with a prescription, does that decrease the risk of bad outcome? And the answer to both of those is that routine testing and routine treatment of asymptomatic hypertension is not uh, recommended. And so let's start off with routine testing. Um, So they looked at, they cited several studies. This is a level C recommendation, but it is based off of, it's not just expert opinion, but essentially they looked at trials, looking at things like chest x-ray, looking at blood work looking at EKGs and saying, if you get a chest X-ray and an EKG in routine labs on someone that comes in asymptomatic with elevated blood pressure, what are you going to find? And the only thing that they found, basically EKG is not going to change your management almost, uh, chest X-ray is not going to change your management if the patient's truly asymptomatic, like a head CT or something's not going to change the management. Rarely, a, the, the only test that might be helpful according to this policy was the creatinine. Because they said in about 6% of patients with this asymptomatic, severely elevated blood pressure, their creatinine will be bumped, and it might be an indication to get them in the hospital and start to get things under control, specifically if they don't have another doctor or you don't think they're going to follow up. And so they say essentially the level C recommendation is uh, no routine testing for patients with asymptomatic hypertension. You can, in, you can consider testing a creatinine in patients who have poor follow-up. As far as routine treatment, again, it was a level C recommendation. They did cite several studies on this, some of them really old, um, but interesting studies. The nice thing about these clinical policies too, frequently like I know in the appendix of this one, you can actually read the trials and see like what the trial, like a summary of each trial and they'll talk about it. Don't just read like the bolded clinical question and answer. You always want to read the rest of it because they explain the thought process on why they make that recommendation. But does the routine treatment of these severely elevated blood pressures decrease risk of adverse outcomes? Again, the answer being no. Um, that was a level C recommendation is that you're not routinely initiating anything in the emergency department or, or for home in these patients, unless with the same caveat being you can consider doing it in patients who have poor access to follow up. They're not going to follow up because the thing with blood pressure is a blood, someone with a blood pressure of 220 over 120. That is, that is, that is very high. That blood pressure will kill them. It's just not going to kill them in the next week or two. Okay. If you look two years out, the number needed to treat on uh, the treatment of, uh, if I recall off the top of my head, the number needed to treat on uh, asymptomatic hypertension, like two years out is like three and people start dropping dead. So it's like really is an important thing to get it managed. It just doesn't have to be managed right now. Frequently, what you see is the mistake of people starting to push IV medications, uh, labetalol, hydralazine, IV, and asymptomatic hypertension. This is an extremely high-risk thing to do because that brain of that patient is adapted to those higher pressures. You now drop that pressure by 30%. They don't perfuse their brain. They will manifest stroke symptoms, maybe from all the small strokes they didn't realize they had 
previously or something. I don't know. But they start manifesting stroke symptoms. You give them TPA and they bleed and die. And it turns into – so you, you can see how problems would happen with this. Again, the level C recommendation by ASEP. The routine treatment of asymptomatic hypertension is not indicated, um, and it does not decrease the risk of adverse outcome, assuming that the patient has follow-up and they're going to get it followed up. I'll say the American College of Cardiology, after ASAP, I think it was 2017, 2018, don't hold me to that, we'll link that one as well, also put out a policy saying similar things, being like, we don't just have to be pushing IV blood pressure medication on people just because it's super, super high. Again, 220 over 120 would be like a good example of something you will see. So that is the deep dive for asymptomatic hypertension. Talk to you in a couple weeks. Keep working hard, keep studying, be sure to enjoy your shift.